You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Anthem Church. If you have your Bibles, you can take them out. We're going to be in the book of Titus this morning. And so we're concluding our study of Titus. And so Titus chapter 3, they'll bring the lights up a bit so you can see that. So Titus chapter 3, and I am, yeah, it's an understatement to say that I'm excited to be uh, just sharing with you guys what God has been doing all week in study as I've kind of been in Titus chapter 3. And really, we're going to be talking about this disconnect that exists between our understanding and our action. Does that make sense? Just because you understand something to be good, right, and true doesn't necessitate that it's going to lead to action. Okay, point in case. Stepped on the scale earlier this summer, and I have an understanding that's like, wow, that is a bigger number than what I should be, okay? And so I'm like, I understand I should lose a few pounds. And I understand that diet and exercise is how that's going to happen, right? Because I've been on the seafood diet, you know, where you like, you see food and you eat it, hasn't been working. And so I'm like, okay, I know though, if I limit my calories in exercise, that is going to be like, what is going to help me lose some weight. But understanding that doesn't mean that the scale, like the number actually goes down, right? Apart from action, it's not going to happen. Okay, so understanding doesn't mean that action is always going to follow. So I'm going to, I need a little audience participation. This whole wing over here, if, you're, if you could just stand on up, you're going to help me with a visual here. Okay, so there's three sections, and so I'm just taking this section. And so this idea of understanding doesn't always lead to action. To illustrate this, this happens, there's a breakdown in the church. Okay, so Barna, the group that does all the research stuff, Barna did a survey, and they found that 100% of evangelicals affirm the responsibility to share the gospel. Meaning we all understand, if we're evangelical, we all understand that God wants to use people to reach people. That unless we tell people about Jesus, they can't deduct just by our actions that somehow they have broken this distance between them and God and they need to accept Jesus as their savior. It necessitates the use of words. And so we all understand that. But yet, when surveyed, what has been found that amongst middle-class people, which most represented here would fall under that category, only a third, 37%, will have shared the gospel using words with just one person, at least one person, throughout the course of the given year. Does that make sense? So we all understand that we should be telling people about Jesus, but what the research says, and I'm not asking you to stand up, I'm just showing you what is said is everybody in here says, yeah, that's a good idea, but only this crowd is the only percentage that's actually doing that. Does that make sense? There's a breakdown in understanding that leads to action. And so you guys can sit down, but it's not just in terms of evangelism. What about prayer? We understand the power of prayer, but how much time do we spend praying? We understand giving, that we should give generous to the church, but yet only 10 to 25% of people actually tithe or, or do that. And so there's an understanding, but it doesn't necessitate that that's going to lead to action. And today, I can't wait to get into the text because I think in the text, Paul, our author, begins to explain where this disconnect is happening and how we go about 
solving that. And so that's what we're looking at in Titus chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 8, figuring out where this disconnect is happening. He says this in in Titus 3 verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, we're going to stop with just one verse so far. He says in verse 8, this saying, the the saying is trustworthy. What what saying? What are these things that he's wanting us to insist on? That's where you have to look at the the text right above this that we taught last week. In fact, some of your scripture might even have verses 4 through 7 kind of just indented or separated. Punctuation came later, so this was probably just one sentence. And if you see the verses that came just before this, that's the context. He's saying, what I just said there, that saying, this idea that that Jesus Christ, he has saved us in verse 5, not by works done by us, but by his own mercy. In verse 6, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we're justified by his grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What he's saying is, is I want you to insist. I want you to remind people that it's not by their works, but it's by what Jesus has done. What that means, another way to say that is if you were asked, hey, why should God let you into heaven? If the answer that follows is, well, because I'm a good person. Wrong. (laughs) He's, He's saying, I want you to insist and remind them it's not about what you do, it's about what has been done through Jesus. You must insist on those things, that it's not by works. Okay, so he's saying, it's not by works. But what does he say in verse 8? And I understand there might be confusion here. It's not by works. I want you to insist on it so Christians can get to work. You're like, wait, I thought you just said works weren't important. (laughs) And again, it's understandable. And Ephesians 2 talks about this. We have a slide, this tension that exists between works. So So are works not important? Are they important? How does this work? First, by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. <laughs> Good. Works aren't, are not important. The next verse. You have it? Next verse. <laughs> Thank you. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. (laughs) There's this tension here. Do you see it? Hey, it's not by works, but God has done a work in you so that you could get to work. And again, don't let there be a confusion. Our works don't save us, but he's saying they they should be evident in a Christian life. Somebody said, first, Salvation is through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But genuine salvation should never be alone. Okay, so works aren't a part of us actually being known by God and saved, but someone that claims to live in him, 1 John says, must walk as Jesus did. And so, again, back to the intro, there's this disconnect between our understanding 
and our action. And he's saying, I want you to insist, I want you to remind them that it's not by their works so that they can get to work. That's what verse 8 is saying. It'd be like this. (laughs) Another example, aside from like the weight loss thing, your oil in your car needs to be changed every so often, depending on what you got in there, you know, if you're running the full synthetic or or conventional. Nonetheless, you need to get an oil change every now and again. Christina Red, do you hear me? Okay, she's like so many thousands of miles over. She's like, I put a little additive in there. That's not the same as actually changing your oil. In fact, like my vehicle has like this thing, it's like your oil life, 0%, like change it. Okay, so understanding that your vehicle, I'm not a big car guy, but, but it needs oil, Understanding your car needs oil. Seeing the little sticker, like on the window, saying that you're overdue, does not actually physically put new oil in your car. Does that make sense? Do you understand, Christina, what I'm saying? Like that understanding that while that's true, that should inform the action that you take. Hey, Jiffy Lube, can you change my oil? 10 minutes, okay? Christine and I are having a discussion. Okay, so this understanding should lead to action. Here's what I need you to understand, Anthem. There's this breakdown where we think, oh, if I just remember what Jesus has done, the, the good works are just going to kind of take care of themselves. If I, it's that, that should be enough that, and it's just absurd to think of it like that as thinking that you're, Car oil is going to change itself. Understanding should lead us to begin to take the right action. It doesn't just happen immediately or just, but it's going to, it is understanding that helps you figure out what to do next. And you see this here in the text is that when we understand the gospel, it informs so that those who believe may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Doesn't just happen naturally, but the gospel allows you to be careful. Growing up as as the only boy in my family with sisters, I was often told that a lot, like, be careful. Something about little boys, they're just not careful. And usually when somebody says, be careful, it means Be careful, like watch out so you don't get hurt. Like be careful so you don't drop it, so you don't break something. It's the same kind of language here. He's saying, I want you to use your head. I want you to think. I want you to consider. I want you to be full of care. Contemplate. Think about it. Think about what? What is he wanting us to be careful with? How we're going to devote ourselves to these good works He's saying it requires a level of thought. It requires a level of contemplation, remembering what Jesus has done so that we can then do. It takes thought. Earlier, he said you've got to train. Think about these things. If, Allie, if you could put Ephesians 2.10 back up. Here's the level. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for four good works, and listen to this, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. What that means, Christian, is that God, knowing how he has wired you, knit you together in your mother's womb, has prepared in advance good works for you. He's got good works for Bill. He's got some for Mike over here. He's got, he's got good works prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. God put that level of thought into works. What should our response be? I mean, God thought about it, and what he's saying in this text is like, you should be careful. You should put some level of thought into it. Because God has thought about it, you should be thinking about this too and carefully considering. So we're going to use a little illustration. They've been working hard on this stage and getting it redone, and I'm about to make a mess of it. So what he's saying, I'm going to move it away from his soundboard thing over here. Okay, I'll do that over here. There's a microphone. I'm going to do it right here. Uh, this pitcher of water is going to represent kind of your life. What God has put in there, this idea of Psalm 90 verse 12, I believe it is, is teach us the number of days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This water in here represents the time you have on earth. It represents the talents that God has given you, the abilities. And what he's saying is you need to be careful to invest that in things that matter, good works. And so you need to carefully pour yourself out into good works. Be careful. Consider how it is that you're going to be about this. In SEC last week, we talked about in Matthew 25. It's like, well, I don't want to miss. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, not do the right things in the parable of the talents. And so I'm just not going to do anything. Okay, we'll preach on that in a month. That's not a good option, okay? He says, be careful. Consider how it is that you're going to do these things. Because in reality, supernatural work doesn't come about naturally. It takes a level of thought and consideration. And you can't just be haphazard, okay? But you need to carefully consider, put this level of thought into how it is that you're going to live out what God has done in your life. He would say in 1 Corinthians 9, if we have the slide, he he would say, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And he would go on to say about himself, he's saying, I do this all for the sake of, so that people would come to know Jesus. And he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It takes a level of thought and intentionality. What what Paul would tell the Corinthians, he's like, they do it for a, a crown. I think it's made out of like olive branches. He's like, they do it for that. He's saying we should have a level of intentionality and run with such a purpose, thinking about these things. Jesus would say it like this in Matthew chapter 7. He would say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. I just want to begin to address this kind of language that we have kind of in our Christian subculture where people say, well, I'm just kind of waiting for God to open doors for me. 
just waiting for God to kind of make things clear. That's a novel thought, but can you show me where you find that in Scripture? Because I'm saying you're going to be hard-pressed as a Christian that has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ to figure out how it is that you can just sit on the bench and wait until God makes something clear. That's not Bible language. Bible language says, and again, run in such a way as to obtain the prize. Ask, seek. How is the door opened? He just told you in Matthew 7, it's by knocking. And so this passive idea of Christianity where we'll just kind of wait, and if God really wants me, he'll just kind of make it known. The only way you can get there is not by reading your Bible out loud. God is making things known. He is inviting you. And in this text, he's saying, it is your responsibility. I have already done this. I've made these good works. I've prepared them for you, Omar, and I've thought of you, and here they are. Just would you carefully, thoughtfully consider them so that you may do them. And you should have enough information. You should have enough. You might not know exactly what they are, but the gospel, what Jesus has bought you back from should inform the level of tenacity in which you think and go about those things. Christian, what I'm trying to do is give you a level of understanding and permission to die to this idea that it's just going to so happen naturally. That you're going to get to see new supernatural things come about just naturally. I want to invite you into this idea that good works take work. And those that you see that you really respect and you're like, man, they're just, they live bold. They, they really go about it. They understand their scripture. That did not come about naturally. Just going to throw that out there. But it was because, motivated by the gospel, they set their trajectory on those things and went after it and put forth the effort. Good works take work. And it really, because of the gospel, what Jesus has done, this idea shouldn't seem like an obligation, but rather an opportunity to figure out what it is that God has laid out for you and then take the opportunity to walk in that. And I really do believe it's to our joy. But it's going to take work and not happen as naturally as most of us hope. Thomas Edison said it like this. Again, he wasn't talking about the Bible, but just in general, he would say opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Some of you said, "Mm mm-hmm. Anthem, I really do believe as a church, I can't stress this enough that I think there is so much opportunity before us but everybody's waiting for it to come about naturally. And so therefore, it just gets missed. And I really do believe it's to our joy to set our trajectory on those things and to go. In fact, I'm more emboldened after our Backyard Bible Club, which you've heard us talk about that last week. And if you missed it, this is where there's a neighborhood that we've been in. We've had people in for a while now. But finally, it took a a young couple and some others, a summer intern, and said, we're going to go and we're going to actually do something in that place. And every night, 20 students, 20 young children from that neighborhood came forth and got to hear 
the gospel message, got to hear about Jesus, and got to be loved on. For those over there, did it take work? Absolutely. But it's an opportunity, one that some of those people that are living in that neighborhood can now continue. But it's an opportunity that I think gets missed if you're not willing to roll up your sleeves and enjoy the sweat. And I don't know what it is that God has prepared for you, what neighborhood he has you in, how he's gifted you, what your coworker situation is like, your family. I, but I would guess that there are opportunities that are absolutely before us that are work. And what we see in this text is that's fine, but it takes a level of thought and intentionality. And what he says at the end of verse 8, he says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. What he means is it's to our joy to put forth the effort and to actively obey. It's going to be excellent and it's profitable. Personally, <laughs> this is why I think this is striking a chord where I couldn't get up and I couldn't, this couldn't come soon enough to come preach. Because I feel like this is in some regards, like my life verse that I've kind of stumbled upon, is that God has allowed me to see some awesome things simply because I was willing. Not because I was the most gifted, but because I was willing to be a part of a church plant. Got to do it once, but, but twice now. Willing to, to lay hands on people and just pray that God would bring about healing. Actually been able to see people healed. Hey, don't, <laughs> because I was willing to have conversations with people. I've had the privilege of getting to lead people to Jesus time and time again. And just so you understand a little bit of a context, again, what I'm saying is I don't, I really don't believe I'm that gifted. In fact, my peers would confirm that because a couple times now in ministry, I haven't been fired, but they're like, you're not going to have a job here in about a year. Okay. Did you catch that? Like, yeah. And so, and again, and I, under, I totally agreed with them. I'm like, we should give it to these young guys that are more gifted. And so we, a couple times, they're like, and I remember the conversation with one of my pastors. This is total divergence, but I'm just sharing it with you just because. I remember he's like, have you ever contemplated going back to the farm and maybe farming? I'm like, I'm willing to do that. But I'm going to continue to put myself out there. And I really do believe that God doesn't just call anointed people, you know, but the fact that you're willing to go, God just gives you that blessing and we have the opportunity. I think it's ours and I feel like this has been some of my life where I'm like, I'm just willing. And so because of that kind of spirit, I feel like God is blessing that and enabling me to get to see things that I wouldn't want to, that I wouldn't get to see if I were simply hanging back and waiting for God to open doors. And what I'm saying is I want that for you. I want us, Anthem Church, to begin to take those opportunities that take a little bit of faith. You don't know how it's all going to work out, but to step out and see what God might do. Because what's the alternative? What's the alternative to not like thinking through good works and, and doing them? The alternative is to sit back, and like not do anything, 
or to direct that attention somewhere else, you know? They're like, I'm just going to do it over here. Okay, so what's the alternative? I feel like my daughters, I have four daughters, young, eight, seven, five, three years old. They have this choice every, every day. Where it's like, do you want to be about doing good to the family, your sisters, loving them? Do you want to obey what mom and dad are calling? Or do you want to disobey? Choice is yours. Obey, disobey. And if you're going to do this all day, I'm telling you, it is not going to go well for you. In our household, if you disobey, we want to help you understand that disobedience leads to pain, primarily on your backside. (laughs) And I want you to learn that at seven years old because when that grows up and you live a life of disobedience, it's coming from a spot where I'm seeing this lived out right now. When you live that disobedient life and it grows up, it turns into adults who are self-centered, and that selfishness leads to isolation, leads to sadness, leads to pain. That is no way to live your life. And I'm going to train you, God help me, at a young age so that you can learn to walk in it and learn that Jesus Christ didn't come and die for you so that you could just go live for yourself, but that you could have the power to follow in his example. Your options are before you, okay? Walk in obedience, and anything aside from obedience, in our household, we just call that disobedience, whether it's to shelf in it or whether it's pouring the energy over here. And so there's a lot of ways to miss this cup. And he's going to go on and and talk about a few of them here In, in verses 9 through 11. What's he say? He says, but avoid... Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable, worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. What he's saying is, oh, some of you, you're haphazard. You're not putting any thought into it, and so... Happens you get some in the cup and some good works to get done. It happens some of it goes over there. Some of you are absolutely laser-focused in the wrong direction, as it is with this crowd. They are intentional. They're just wrong. And how is it that they missed it? And he gives a whole list of things, but at the root of it, the way they're missing it is through causing division, quarrels, about these genealogies and dissensions and all this about the law. And so he uses strong language. Do you see that? In verse 10, strong language. Divisive people are to be met with this strong language. Warn them. Warn them twice. And then after that, have nothing to do with them. Mark Driscoll, pastor, he would say, hard people need hard answers. That makes sense? Hard people, they might need a hard answer. Soft people don't give them hard answers. They're soft people. Soft answer will do. Hard people, sometimes you got to give them a hard answer. In chapter 1, he said this. In chapter 1, verse 11 of Titus, talking about the same group, he says, they must be silenced. They must be silenced. I think when Todd studied that out, it's more similar to our phrase, you need to shut them up. Strong language for strong people. Verse 10, warn them once. Warn them a second time. Don't warn them a third time. Have nothing to do with them. 
How do you reconcile that, though, with what Luke had in his text earlier in verse 2? See, just above this. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, We'll speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. To be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. How you reconcile that is understanding the context. There's two different crowds. In the earlier context, he's talking about those outside the church. You know that because if you keep reading, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. We ourselves were once outside the church. And so in terms of of being hard on them, hey, they have a harder thing coming. It's the judgment of God. And so what do you expect? But those inside the church, he has a different response to. Here later, and we see, tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, Uh, 5, 12, and 13, I think we have this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church from whom you are to judge. God judges those outside, but in terms of those inside, purge the evil person among you. What God is saying is this divisive person that is causing division. He's saying, I'm commanding you to have nothing to do with them. And just in terms of observations, there's likely a strong correlation in someone that's divisive, strong correlation between them putting their opinions out on social media in comparison to the good works that they do. Because my observation is that you only have enough energy to either run your mouth or your hands at any given time. That makes sense. Some of you have been on a work site. It's hard to do both. And so there's only enough energy. You're either going to run your mouth or you're going to run your hands. Which is it? And oftentimes people that are busy running their mouth aren't using their hands. Maybe you can find the exception, but generally speaking, what he's saying is is you ought to be about using your hands, letting the gospel be proclaimed in that. I think it's again in 1 John 3, 18. He said uh, this idea that, uh, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. It's easy to say you love your brother, he'd say in 1 John 4, but do you actually love your brother? Man, it's easy to say the right thing, but confirming that with our lifestyle. And I'll be honest, though, when I read this, warn them, this strong language. I come across as a hard individual, but in, just to let you know, I'm like, like an M&M. There's a hard shell, but inside it's just gushy. I, I am genuinely... In our household, this might not come as a shock, I certainly cry much more than my wife does, okay? Our first year of marriage, I, I feel like it's fair to say that I cried probably three or four times a week, okay? Softy. Yeah, laugh at me. Okay, no, I'm going to hurt. No, uh, but it's reality. Like, I am a soft, like, once you get on the inside, and so this idea of, like, coming strong in language and, and hard people needing hard answers that does not come naturally for me. It's fine, like when it's in a context and we're having a conversation, but once it starts to get real, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> like when it's, I can play like swords with Nerf swords, but once the real ones come out and somebody can get cut, I'm like, oh, all done. So is it possible to overcome that and actually obey this text? Let me illustrate it. In our neighborhood, there are a lot of dog people in our neighborhood. Everybody's got like acre log lots, you know. And so if you go out in our neighborhood and walk or go for a jog, you're likely 
to meet some of those dogs. They're going to come to the edge of the driveway and see you. And I don't like that because you, it doesn't matter what, even if they're just going to nip your heels or, you know, go for your jugular. I'm not sure what size of dog you are, what caliber you are of like hurting me, but I don't know if you're friendly or, but when I go for a jog in my neighborhood and I go past that dog's yard, I can expect that that might happen. Not mad. But when those dogs come to my yard, I don't expect that. And nor do I necessarily like it. And so we were out moving some sticks. I think it was this spring. And I had my eight-year-old daughter. I'm like, okay, we're going to work. And so she's helping me load sticks onto this trailer, picking up from just the winter and all these trees. And all of a sudden, these two dogs that oftentimes are out running our neighborhood came into our yard. And one of those dogs got really aggressive towards my eight-year-old daughter. In fact, they come up barking and growling, coming at her. She screams and runs around the side of the truck. I don't know what, but as she's coming around, I'm running around the other way, going towards whatever frightened her. And I get there, and I see this black dog, fairly sizable, barking and growling, now at me. I, I pick up a stick, and I start to come at the dog. dog still doesn't back away. Finally, the dog turns and kind of runs back towards home. Now, I'm not saying I'm looking for a fight, but I loaded my daughter in my truck, and I followed that dog home. And I had an opportunity to speak with that dog's owner, and talk to them. I'm saying, I don't hate your dog, but I love my daughter. And we have a problem that's going to get solved. And again, I wasn't looking for a fight. I wasn't being overly mean in any way. But I am going to protect my daughter. See, a true soldier doesn't fight because he hates what is in front of him, but because of the love of what's behind him. Those of you that are so concerned about, well, what about that owner? What about, what about those behind you? Some of you, you're, you're, you're so overly merciful that you're willing to, uh, you're saying, well, I want to love them. I don't know if I, I want to make sure I love them. But do you love those behind you? Because sometimes it might mean you have to come at the evil, which is trying to divide, trying to destroy and hurt. It's clearly what is proclaimed here in Scripture. And so I have to trust that and get over my insecurity, myself, my desire to want to be loved by everybody. And I have to trust that what is best for that individual is also what's best for the whole. Trust me, sorry, I'll say it like this. What is best for the whole, all of you as a church, is going to be what's best for that individual, even if that individual doesn't like it. I have to do what is best for the whole flock and so what that means is those that are wanting to, to derail where we're going and, and, and they want me to get together and, and read their email and, and, and their text messages and have coffee with them so they can promote their agenda. By saying if they're trying to create division, warn them, warn them again, and after that, have nothing to do with them. And I understand that is hard language but God's desire for unity ought to be made so clear in that. 
And so again, the goal is to, to love and loving the whole. If we do that, we have to trust that it's the best thing for that individual. And putting them out, giving them an opportunity to repent. And again, all this, the gospel provides understanding that should lead to action. The gospel informs all of that. In fact, even as you look at the life of Jesus, who did he have the most trouble with? It was the divisive church people. It was those religious leaders that ultimately called for his crucifixion. And so we should not be so remiss to think that, there, that some of the biggest opposition isn't going to spring up from within the church. But we're clearly commanded here in terms of what to do with it. And the day that I get soft or Todd as another elder gets soft with those scripture uses wolves is the day that the flock gets scattered. And so please don't beat up on your leaders when they are giving hard people hard answers as commanded by scripture. It's not because they're mean. It's because they love who it is that they're protecting. And he goes on and he closes and he says this in verse 14 to reiterate and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help the cases of urgent need and, to be, and not be unfruitful. For some that are saying, well, I'm just sitting back and waiting for needs to, to come up. He says they're going to happen. If that's your posture, there will be good works, but it's just the urgent ones that will make themselves known. What he's saying is you should already be pouring yourself out, devoting yourself to good works, and when these urgent needs come up, yes, take care of those too. But we should be actively leaning in, seeking, knocking. Luke in our teacher's meeting said it like this. He said, uh, you can't steer a parked car. We should be in motion, actively putting ourselves out there so that God can continue to direct us where it is that he wants us. Christian, don't be a parked car. Understand this from Scripture, that just because you understand good works are a good thing and God's prepared them in advance for you to do doesn't mean they're just going to flow from your life. It takes a level of thought, consideration, that we would be careful so as to walk in them. Again, the gospel, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, but we are his workmanship so that we can get to work. I just want to pray and leave us kind of in that. And so if you would bow your heads, God, thank you that our works don't save us. Lord, thank you for making that clear throughout scripture. Our works don't save us, but thank you, Lord, for inviting us in that you would be so thoughtful as to prepare good works that are to our benefit, that we should walk in them. And so, Lord, thank you for inviting us in. And again, we recognize it's not about what we do, but about what has been done. And so, Lord, thank you. And thank you for the gospel that really does provide the motivation to get to work and take these opportunities. So, God, we pray that you would be honored as we do that this week, that as we obey this text, Lord, your name would be made great. Amen.